0: morning to church, as well as those visitors and our radio listeners today. Not too many announcements this morning. First of all, thank you, Grace, for the prelude this morning. Week one of Wonderful Wednesdays was good. We had almost 70 kids here after school last week. We invite you again to join us at 5.45 p.m. for dinner this week. And I would ask that all that are able to please stand and join me in the call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. One One generation commends your work to another, they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness.
1: The Lord is gracious and compassion, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made.
0: All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all promises,
1: and faithful in all the, the Lord holds all who fall and lifts up all who are him.
0: The eyes of all look to you and you give them food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing.
1: The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and faithful in all he does. The Lord is here to all who call on him, to all who call on him in the truth.
0: He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name, forever and ever. We'll continue to stand and sing our praise song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Let's greet our neighbors with maybe a little fist bumps or elbows.
2: Morning. How is everybody today? Good? Well, I have a fun little visual for you all. And I have this vase of water. This water is going to be what I'm gonna call the world. And the world is clear. I've got some food coloring here. Miss Reagan, what color do you want? Red, blue, green, or yellow? Blue? Hold on. So if we have our blue, this blue is going to represent Reagan. Okay? And our goal is for Reagan to get this entire clear water blue. And what our end goal is going to be is to see what the kingdom of God looks like. Okay, so if we add Reagan, oh, is everything blue? No. Well, can can only Reagan be in the kingdom of God? No. no. Okay, Reagan, who are you going to tell? Uh, Courtney. Courtney. All right, so Reagan told Courtney. How about now? There's two people. Is the whole thing blue yet? No. No. Well, Courtney, who are you going to tell? Caitlin. Caitlin. Oh, I don't think three people can make up the kingdom of God. Should we keep going? Caitlin, who are you going to choose? Andrew? All right, Andrew, we're going to put Andrew in here. And we're going to keep going, and I don't even know how many kids I have up here. I want to say maybe 25, maybe 30. So we're just going to keep adding drops for everybody in here because Regan knows Jesus. Regan has Jesus in her heart and believes in God, and she knows that he's her Lord and Savior. She told Courtney Well, then Courtney told Caitlin, Caitlin told Andrew, and if Andrew told other people, and let's say everybody up here, then told everybody in the congregation about Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sins, and if we believe in our hearts that he came again, and he is our Lord and Savior, and he comes to save us, and help us, and love us, then we start looking more and more like the kingdom of God. And if I keep adding more people, because then everybody in our congregation, everybody listening on the radio, tells their friends, and tells their family, or maybe not even that. They maybe even tell just a stranger. And then everybody... Is part of the kingdom of God. And we start looking more like the kingdom of God because we are sharing Jesus with everybody, not just our family and not just our friends. Okay, so let's try and be the kingdom of God this week. Thank you. Let's try and be the kingdom of God this week. And I want you guys to maybe try and just tell three people, if you if you can. Just tell three people. Everybody in the congregation, just tell three people that we are all in the kingdom of God. If we believe in our hearts, if we know he died on the cross, and we know he came and he was born again and he He died in the tomb, and he rose again, and he lives in heaven, and we live in heaven with him one day, right? That is all being the kingdom of God, okay? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, be with us this week. Help us share with maybe just three people, maybe someone in our family, maybe someone of our friends, maybe a stranger that you are the king of kings and you are our savior and that we have you in our hearts we get to spend eternity in your kingdom in your son's name we pray amen oh if you are singing please stay up here if you're not singing you guys can go back to your seats
3: So Shelby just talked about how the
1: kids are supposed to tell three people. Today they're going to tell a story when Jesus feeds the multitudes with a single fish and a single loaf of bread.
0: Lost in our service in the last week. In Virginia, Specialist Javon Prather, 24, from Springfield, Virginia. In Texas, Specialist Shelby Tyler-Jones, 20, from Jenna,
3: Louisiana. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing number 271 in your blue hymnal, Standing on the Promises of God. Before we go to prayer together this morning, I want to take a a moment just to uh, recognize a couple things. One is a a praise report. Um, Gene Stralicki is back in our choir with us this morning, and he's been away for quite a while with some health challenges. It's really nice to to see you back there, Gene. Glad you're here with us this morning. Um, The other thing is uh, I want to draw your attention to uh, an announcement that's in your bulletin. I'm sure many of you have seen this already this morning, Uh, but we just want... Uh, the church to, to be aware that uh, our choir director, our Director of Music, Eric Hirschfeld, uh, turned in his resignation on Wednesday evening and announced that to the choir and um want you all to be aware of that. He's going to be staying with us through the end of May, through the end of the choir season um, and we're going to have an opportunity then in May to celebrate his ministry here as with a, with a carrying a lunch uh, and, and more details about that will follow. But I just want to take this opportunity, one, to just make you as the church aware of that, but also, two, to thank Eric for his 15 years now. 15 years of service here at First Church, and also over about 40 years of service as a choir director in various churches as well. So thank you, Eric, for your ministry here. We're so glad. Uh, so thankful for your time of service here and your ministry here, and, and uh, we're just so grateful for, for who you are and what God has done through you in this place. So thank you, Eric. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, I thank you so much uh, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you use us to further the work of your kingdom um, in the place where you have where you have settled us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Eric and his ministry here at First Church and are so grateful for all that you have done in and through him, Lord, um, to help us to worship you through music and song. Um, Lord, I pray for a blessing on him and his family and and uh, thank you, Lord, for their time here. Um, Lord we also ask that you be with us Lord and uh, the challenges and the the difficulties we face in our everyday life Lord um, some of them are obvious and some of them maybe not so much Uh, we ask you Lord that you would um, just work in our lives Lord whatever we may face um, Lord whether we even realize our need for you or not I pray that you would work Um, Lord you are a God who who is compassionate and gracious and abounding in love and I pray that 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 Through our, uh, through your Spirit's presence in our lives, that you would, um, help us to know and experience that. Lord, in the, in the joys of life, we ask that you would be present and, and make yourself real in the, in the most difficult days as we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. We, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would make your presence known and that your strength and your presence and your grace would be a source of comfort for us. Uh, Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen." Amen. This time I invite those that are helping with the offering to come forward. Thank you.
4: Feel free to pick up your pew bibles if you'd like to follow along in your pew bibles i'm reading on page 1005 this is mark 4 beginning with chapter or chapter 4 beginning with verse 26 jesus is speaking he also said this is what the kingdom of god is like a man scatters seed on the ground night and day whether he sleeps or gets up The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You may be seated.
3: Thanks, Sharon. Let's pray together. Father God, once again, we come before you this day uh, seeking your guidance as we open your word together as we continue our journey through this gospel of Mark, we ask that you would Help us to understand, Lord, what your kingdom truly is like and how we can uh, how Lord we can grow in, in spiritual maturity and faith in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, the last, uh, several weeks, maybe a couple months, I guess it's been now, um, I've been reading with Josephine, uh, the, the novel by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if any of you have, are familiar with those stories. They were written, uh, several decades ago. And I remember when I was a kid, probably a little bit older than Josephine, but when I was younger, my mom read those stories to me, and they've always, they always stuck with me. And I always remember wanting to be able to read that, uh, read those stories with, with my kids. And so, um, Finally got to the point, I'm like, all right, I think Josephine can handle this. And so we started reading the story, and, and we try to read maybe like a chapter a night or every couple nights as time allows. But uh, she just has just loved it. She's, she's gotten right into the story. There's there's movies that Disney made in the last decade or so that go along with it. We After we finished reading the book, we watched the movie, and, and she's just been talking about it and talking about it. And it has really stuck with her just like it did for me. And if you're not familiar with the story, the the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in particular are are stories that C.S. Lewis wrote. They're fantasy stories about these children who who wander through a wardrobe and find themselves in a magical land. And while they're there, they learn that, that this land, this land of Narnia, had been under a curse for hundreds of years. And the curse was that it was always winter and never Christmas, right? What could be worse for a kid than it always being winter and never Christmas, right? And so they journey through this land, and, and, and eventually throughout the course of the story, um, they, the one of the brothers uh, encounters the Queen of Narnia, who is the white witch, and she's the one who has placed the curse on the land. And for his own selfish reasons and motivations, he decides to share some information with her, and, and in a sense, betray his siblings and the cause of Narnia. And and eventually he comes to realize what he'd done and is, is very sorry for his mistakes, but the crime had been committed and therefore the price needed to be paid. And, and, and by, by rule, by law, he was, his life was forfeit. And so even as he returns to his family and is rescued by, by Aslan, who is this great lion who is the, uh, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, comes and, and rescues Edmund and brings him back, yet the queen still demands his life. And so the queen and this great lion Aslan have this conversation about, and and you don't know what the content is, but at the end of it she she renounces her claim and says Edmund can live. Well, the reason is because Aslan offered to take his place instead. And so the story goes that 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 night the the great lion wanders off and returns to the queen and, and willingly lays himself on the stone table where she takes the knife and kills him in Edmund's place. And as we're reading the stories, we got to this this climax of the story. I took a moment and talked to Josephine. I said, "Now, kind of, do you understand what's going on here? I mean, it's kind of a you know, a pretty serious moment in the book." And and I talked to her. I said, and she said, "Yeah, she's Aslan's dying instead of Edmund." And and I said, "Do you understand why though? Do you do you get what's happening here?" And 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 I said, "Do you know someone else who did that?" And she says, "Well, yeah, Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus died for." Uh, died for us and and so we talked I said well if that's if Aslan is like Jesus then what do you think is going to happen she says well he's going to come back to life and sure enough in the next chapter you see that because he willingly laid down his life who an innocent person who did not deserve the punishment he was able to come back to life and eventually they conquered the queen and broke the curse the story is a great parallel to the truth and the the heart of the gospel and the reason I I share that with you today is because stories are very powerful aren't they you know, the story of, of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is powerful, and in it, in it, in it stuck with Josephine in a way that a, a course on systematic theology and the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ never would, right? Because stories connect with us at a deep level. They speak to, to truth. They, they can convey truth and communicate truth in a very powerful way that sticks with people. That's what. That's why the. You know. That's why that story has has stuck with me for the last. You know. My, my entire life and, and and why it why it communicated that truth to Josephine, and I, I share that with you this morning because we're looking at at some parables of Jesus and, and parables were Jesus most um, uh, his favorite way of communicating truth. Over a third of all of his teaching in the gospel is conveyed through parables. And the reason Jesus does this, does this I think is because parables like stories like the Chronicles of Narnia or other you know books or movies that we read just have a way of connecting and getting to the heart of a matter better than like I said a course on systematic theology ever would. Think about some of Jesus's most famous teachings, right? What comes to mind when you think of Jesus teaching? Well, Two of the most famous examples are the Good Samaritan and the, par- the parable of the prodigal son, right? Two stories that Jesus told in order to convey deep spiritual truths, and they stuck with us. And those are the stories that really hit home. You know what? At its core, a parable is, a, is an every is a, excuse me, it's a story about everyday events that convey spiritual truth. And as I said, stories have a way of, of conveying truth that is accessible even to people who wouldn't be open to more straightforward teaching methods. Again, think of Jojo and the Chronicles of Narnia. Right? If I were to just try to sit down and teach her out of a theology book, right, that whole idea would just fly right over her head. But reading a story about a, a great lion who la- willingly laid down his life for an innocent person, that stuck with her. Parables also you know, or used elements of everyday life. Jesus often used, as we see here today, examples from agriculture to emphasize the points of his stories, because that's what his audience knew, right? They were familiar with those sorts of things. When he talked about sheep wandering away or seeds being planted to different kinds of soil, they immediately understood what he was talking about. I often wonder what kind of parables would Jesus tell today if he were to if he were to show up in 2020, right, and, and begin to teach in the manner that he taught 2,000 years ago. it would be interested to know. I have no idea what they would be, but he would communicate truth in a way that we could understand. Right, think about, think about these last verses in Mark 4. I want to read verses 33 and 34 to you again. He says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand it. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Right, think about that. Jesus understood that, that not everybody was ready to, to receive the full textbook on theology, but he knew that they would get it if he told them a story. He knew that he would they would the, the truth of the gospel would sink in if he communicated communicated it in a way that they could understand. That's what parables do. They get past our defenses, they get past our expectations, and allow that spiritual truth to sink home. Parables also. Um, often had surprise endings, right? Think again about Jesus' most famous parables. The no-good Samaritan was the true example of God's unconditional love. Uh, excuse me, God's God's love. The father in the story of the prodigal son unconditionally welcomed his son home. Right? Those are surprise twist endings that, that are the real um, point of the story. Here we see that it's the smallest of the seeds, the mustard seed, that grows to become the largest plant in the garden. That's why these parables were so powerful and memorable at the same time because of the, the way that they were communicated. And these parables then teach us about the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a seed being planted. It's like the mustard seed, which is so small. Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom of God. If you've been reading through the Gospel of Mark as according to our reading plan these last couple of weeks, you'll see that the kingdom of God is the main emphasis of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, right? Mark one fifteen is is the kingdom of God is drawn near, the time has come. Repent and believe the good news, right? That's the, the core, the essence of Jesus' teaching. And so now he's he's using these parables to further explain what he means by that. The kingdom of God is, 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 is wherever and when the kingdom of God is present wherever and whenever God's will and reign is being experienced, right? Wherever God's will is being done, wherever his, his presence is being made known and made manifest. That's where God's kingdom is with Jesus. It came uh, with, with Jesus' birth and his incarnation, Jesus was able to say the kingdom of God is at hand. It is coming near. It's almost here. With his death and his resurrection, that was like the that was like inauguration day, right? That is where the kingdom of God was established. Victory was won when Jesus laid down his life for us. But yet we still don't experience it in its fullness, do we? We, we just catch glimpses of it and, and bits and pieces here and there. But one day God's kingdom will be fully established, will be fully made real when Christ comes again. And when he establishes heaven here on earth, as we just prayed for him to do earlier in the service. And so we get glimpses of what the kingdom is like, and, and Jesus is trying to open our eyes with these parables to help us to see, see the truth of the kingdom, and that's what we're going to be focusing on here today. There's three spiritual truths that I want that I think Jesus is trying to communicate here with these two parables, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. What we can learn, what Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom through these two parables. And so the first spiritual truth is that the kingdom of God grows gradually. It grows gradually inside the hearts of those who trust in the Lord. Now, it's important for us to read these parables in context. Again, that's that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've encouraged you to read through the gospel of Mark with us together. Because if you've been doing so, you know that earlier in Mark chapter 4, Jesus told another parable. One may be a little bit more familiar than these. It's the parable of the soils. Right? You actually heard Pastor Tory preach on this not too long ago, uh, I think from Matthew's Gospel. But the same parable there of, of this man who goes out and scatters seed and the four different types of soils that are there. Right, the, the, the hard path where the seed is just quickly snatched up. There's the rocky ground where it can't take root. There's the, 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 the seed that takes root but it's, it's choked out by the weeds and the thorns. And then, of course, there's the fourth, the good soil, where the seed is able to take root and bear fruit. What I think Jesus is doing here is he's taking he's he's further explaining that parable. He's talking about how what happens when that seed takes root in the good soil. In other words, Jesus here is talking about the growth that takes place within a believer as the root, as the seed of the gospel, the word of God takes root in our own lives. That's why it's so important to read passages in their context, they help us. We need to allow scripture to explain and scripture to interpret scripture and help us to understand God's word as a whole. We have we can be it can become very dangerous to start pulling verses out of context, right outside of where uh, the context that they were originally written in. For example, how many of you have ever seen a, a Christian calendar or or motivational poster that had Luke four six written on it? I have. Luke 4, 6 says, And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. That's a pretty amazing promise, isn't it? That's really cool. I mean, that would be a very motivational thing to see. It would be a great promise if God actually was the one who gave it to us. Look up Luke 4, 6 in your Bible sometimes. It's not God speaking. That's Satan. That's Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all these things. You see, we can, it can be very dangerous to pull verses out of context and think we understand what they mean. It's, it's good to read Scripture as a whole and see how, how the rest of Scripture informs the passage you're talking about. We don't want to be pulling verses out of context and, uh, and think we know what they mean. So it's good to, to read this parable in light of the other parables, the other teaching of Jesus that is found in this chapter. And so again, back to, back to Mark 4, we, we know that uh, this seed, the, the seed is meant to represent the word of God, the gospel, as proclaimed by Jesus. With the first parable, different soils were describe, used to describe different heart conditions and their receptivity to the gospel. And the seed only took root, again, in the good soil. And now in verses 26 through 32, Jesus is building on that. He's telling two more parables that describe in detail what happens when that seed takes root. In other words, he's describing spiritual growth of an individual who receives the good news of the gospel. And I said first here that the first spiritual truth is that the kingdom of God grows gradually. Look at Mark 4 verse 28. It says that that as that seed grows and takes root, it says first the stalk, right, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. All right? Plants don't just spring up to full maturity overnight. It takes time for them to grow and bear fruit. Allie and I have planted a, a small garden for several years now. Um, we are by, experts by no means uh, when it comes to growing things. We're lucky if they last the whole season most of the time. Uh, but one thing we do know is that it takes a while for those first vegetables, those the first produce to appear, right? We plant the seeds and, and well, to be honest with you, we don't always plant seeds. We get the the cheater starter packs, right, from the from the store. But we plant those, and they take a while, right? They they don't doesn't seem like a whole lot is happening. And after a few weeks, uh, you know, some time passes, then we're able to see the benefits of having the garden. That's it. Just it doesn't just happen overnight. And the same is true for our spiritual growth, right? We want God to work in us and and to change our hearts immediately. We want to have one of those Damascus Road experiences where we're just walking along and God just just zaps us and changes us right then and there. Now, I I, I believe that God is able to do that if he so chooses. God is able. He did it with the Apostle Paul. But I think more often the way in which God works in our lives is like that garden, like that seed that is planted. Over time, it, it takes root, it grows, and produces fruit. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Some translations say from, from glory to glory or from one degree of glory to the next. This idea is that, is that over time, over the course of a lifetime, God works in us to change us, to transform us from the inside out. It is not a, a one-time deal, but it is a, a process of God working in us over and over and over again. We never truly arrive, but we get closer with time and with maturity. It's the idea of, that Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, he says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Right? To grow in grace, to grow in our knowledge means to, to become more like Him over time. We often look at ourselves and wish that more progress was being made, right? We think that we have a, we, we can look at our lives and think we have a long ways to go, but know that God is working in you. God is working to produce that fruit in your life. And it's not something that's just going to happen overnight. It is something that takes time and takes dependence and reliance on God and His Word to do. There's a couple lessons here we can learn from the spiritual truth. One is that is that everyone is at different stages of the journey, right? right? There's the seed, there's the, the it sprouts, it it, it, it has the, the head of grain, and then it has the full mature head, right? It doesn't just happen at once. It is a process that takes place over time. And so if that's the case, if spiritual growth takes place gradually, then naturally we're all going to be at different positions at different points on that spectrum, right? Some of us are going to be that seed that's just beginning to take root, just beginning to sprout. Some of us are more like that, that head of grain that is ready to be harvested and anywhere in between there's always going to be someone who's more mature more spiritually mature than you further along that you can learn from and there's always going to be someone a little less spiritually mature that you can be an example to that you can help along the way so i love uh, 1 corinthians 11:1 paul says follow my example as i follow the example of christ I don't think that's just for Paul to say. I think that's for all of us to say. We should all strive to follow Christ so that those around us can benefit from it. That's really the essence of ministry, trying to help one another become more like Christ, to grow in in grace with ever-increasing glory. And if it's gradual, then the end goal is ultimately that we become like Christ. Seeds are not meant to remain seeds forever. Their purpose is to grow, mature, and to bear fruit. In the same way, we are... we are supposed to grow in the Lord so that we may bear fruit and become more like Jesus. Right? If we're not striving and longing to be more like Him, we're missing the point. Ephesians chapter four, verses thirteen through fifteen. Paul tells us that 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 he gives it, that, that God gives spiritual gifts. It's, that's the lead up to this verse. And then in verse thirteen, he says, "Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature." There's that word mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Notice there twice he says the goal is that we become mature in Christ, that we grow to become like him. All right, that's our goal as Christians, is to become mature like Christ. In John fifteen sixteen, he tells his disciples that, that God's will for us is that we bear much fruit. Speaking to his disciples, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Right, God desires his goal for you is to become is that you would bear spiritual fruit and be more like Christ. What is that spiritual fruit? What does it look like for someone to be like Christ? Well, it says in Galatians twenty two Galatians chapter five, verses twenty two and twenty-three the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. All right, that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's those things that God is working to produce and develop in your life. As we mature in Him, we should be seeing more of that kind of fruit in our lives. That's the evidence of a life committed to Christ, evidence of a transformed life. You see, we'll be judged by our fruit. The first parable talks about the harvest that is coming. Harvest is often used as a metaphor for judgment in the New Testament. Matthew 13 tells another parable that's similar to this one. tells a parable about, about uh, weeds that grow up in the wheat field. The servant asks the master, should I go out and, and pull all the weeds? And he says, no, just leave them there until the harvest comes. And at harvest, first uh, the the good wheat will be taken up, stored in the barn, and then the weeds will be gathered together and thrown in the fire. Right this idea of harvest is is pointing towards judgment day when when God will judge people according to their fruit. When the Lord returns he will he will look be looking for the evidence that that of our salvation in our in our lives the fruit that we bear. And remember fruit is evidence and that's important. Fruit is evidence. It's not the reason for our salvation. In other words, we don't bear fruit in order to be saved. We are saved in order that we may bear fruit. Right? The order there is important. So the question we all need to ask ourselves is this, right? Our, if Jesus came back today, if he were to show up here and now, what kind of fruit would he find in your life, right? Would he find those fruits of the Spirit evident in you? Would he see the the result of, of spiritual growth in your life? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. We don't want to be like the guy I... I, I I just saw on Twitter the other day who described a time in college when a friend asked if he was a Christian. He responded and said, "Yes, of course I am." And his friend shrugged and said, "Hmm, I couldn't tell." None of us want to be that person. None of us want to be uh, a a Christ follower in in word only. We must also we also want to bear the fruit of maturity in our lives. So God's kingdom grows gradually. We also see here that uh, spiritual truth number two is that God makes the kingdom of God grow in you, right? Take a seed in your hand, hold it in your fist and will it to grow and see what happens, right? In the same way, even even better, take a moment and just will yourself to grow six inches taller, right? It's just not going to happen. We can't make those sorts of transformations happen on our own. We can't do it for ourselves. And in this case, what is true physically is also true for us spiritually, we cannot make ourselves grow spiritually, not by sheer force of will at least. It's God. He's the one who brings about that change in our lives. Again, okay, look at verse 27. Right? The farmer goes about his normal business. It says, he night and day passes. Right? He, he goes on with life as he normally does. Meanwhile, the seed takes root and grows all by itself, even if he doesn't understand how it happens. Because God is the one who ultimately makes it grow Again, think of 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. Paul is here talking to the church who had been squabbling over their leaders and, and claiming allegiance to, um, claiming allegiance to Paul or Apollos rather than Christ. And he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor for they are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building, right? We have a, we have a part to play, but God is the one who ultimately makes that spiritual growth happen. We cannot save ourselves no matter how hard we try and we're completely dependent on God's grace for salvation, right? Wouldn't it be the same way then? Wouldn't it be also true for our sanctification, for our spiritual growth? He's the one who plants the seed in our hearts, and he's also the one who will make it grow and bear fruit. You know, I say that and we think, all right, then I'm just going to sit back and enjoy life, right? If God's doing all the work, then what part do I have to play? I want to encourage you to remember that we're not called to be completely passive in the process. Philippians two, eleven through twelve uh, says excuse me, twelve and thirteen, he says uh Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Right. Notice two things here. First, we are called to work on our salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. Second, it is God who enables us to act according to his will. In other words, we are active participants in the process. It's not to say we're responsible for our spiritual growth. God is still the one who accomplishes it through his Holy Spirit. He's the one who enables us to act. but we can position ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can better bring about that growth and change. Again, think of Jesus' parable about the about about agriculture and about the garden. right We, we can um, uh, we can allow, excuse me, improved conditions, lead to better fruitfulness, right? We add nutrients to the soil. We, we water it. We make sure it gets, gets enough sun. All of those things help the garden, help the plant become more fruitful. And that's what spiritual disciplines are meant to be in our own lives. They, they're meant to position us for spiritual growth. Think of things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, worship, scripture memorization. There's, there's plenty more we could add to the list as well. Those are all ways to position yourself for spiritual growth. The goal of Bible reading is not just increased knowledge. No, that's a good thing. It's so that we become more like Jesus. The the goal of prayer isn't to get what you want from God. It's that God may use that time to make you more like Jesus. The goal of worship isn't just to sing your favorite songs. It's so that God can use that experience of him to make you more like Jesus. You see, see the point there? You want to bear more fruit? You want to be more spiritually mature and ready on that day that Jesus comes back? Then we need to learn to position ourselves for spiritual growth by practicing spiritual disciplines, right? Those regular habits that we can incorporate in our lives now lead to that long-term growth that God desires to do in us. Lastly, spiritual truth number three, the kingdom of God grows larger than you could possibly expect. This last parable describes the mustard seed, which was often used in teaching at that time to describe something that was, that was incredibly small. All right, the, a mustard seed was, was about one millimeter in diameter. I even thought about trying to track one down and hold it up for you, but I knew that wouldn't do you any good because you would be able to see it from back there, right? It's that small. One millimeter is, is tiny. Yet when planted and given the right conditions, it, it could become one of the largest plants in a garden, growing to some 10 feet in height. Not a tree by any means, but large enough, as Jesus points out, to accommodate birds and other creatures to build nests in it. Why does Jesus share this parable? Well, the kingdom of God often has humble beginnings, both as, as, as uh, thinking of the church as a whole, but also in an individual's life. Think of the church, right? Some 120 people gathered together on the day of Pentecost. Now According to, to research in 2011, more than 2 billion people in the world follow Christ. That's a quite a change, wouldn't you say? The humble beginnings of the church, small groups of persecuted individuals who, who, who willingly suffered and, and, and many died for the cause of Christ so that the gospel would go forth. Humble beginnings for sure. But we're also called, I think the parable of mustard seed is meant to more more than just describe the the history of the church, it's meant to describe the effect of the kingdom of God in us. In other words, we're called to have all-encompassing allegiance to him. Following God means loving him with our entire lives, not just part of it. Our theme for Wonderful Wednesday this year is Mark 1230. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. All of it, right? All of it. Don't leave anything out. Don't be like the soldiers who were baptized in a river and held their sword arms above the water. We're called to give God everything. And as the mustard seed reminds us, we're, we don't want to neglect the little things either. God often works in small ways. We want a voice from heaven and we want writing on the sky, but more often than not, God speaks through that still, small voice. He works through the regular rhythm of everyday life and devotions. He speaks to us through the advice of a godly and loving friend. And God wants you to be more like Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God in you is all about, to bring you to Christ-likeness. He wants to transform you into his image with ever-increasing glory. And he wants you to make an impact for his kingdom. And more often than not, that begins with a mustard seed. It involves those small steps. And in the middle of that process, it may not seem like much is happening. It may not seem like God is doing anything like waiting for a garden to grow or for water to boil. But God uses those small steps to bring about huge change in your life. And so today, I want to encourage you as well to look back on your walk with Christ. What were those little moments that you thought, excuse me, that brought you to where you are today? Let's take time and thank God for those mustard seeds that have grown and bared fruit in your life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that your kingdom uh, grows in us, Lord, um, that each day you bring us closer and closer to you uh, through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And so I ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow in you, continue to develop spiritual maturity, that we may bear fruit, and make an impact for your kingdom in this world, because, Lord, you are good and worthy of our praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing number 31. Great is the Lord. the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.